Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning. Nice to have you here at church. Uh, We're not in the book of Leviticus. I know some of you are saying, really? Already so over so quickly? Some of you are at last, something different, right? Um, anybody love uh, roller coasters? Where are you adrenaline junkies in the room? Roller coaster riders? Let's, I just want to see who you are so I can pray for you after the service. Okay, all right. Um, uh, life can be like a roller coaster, right? Ups, downs, twists. Sometimes you can find yourself upside down. Uh, and, and it's not as fun as the roller coaster is. And so life can sometimes leave you discombobulated. This is a new word for me. Uh, disorientated, discomforted because of these twists and turns uh, that happen. And so I want to share two roller coaster stories uh, with you from me personally. So the first one is um, 2012. It's our six-year anniversary, and uh, Tamsin surprised me with a surprise to go to Goldry City for the night. Uh, and then the next morning, we went to uh, the theme park after breakfast, but we were clever. We had the breakfast. We walked around a little bit, looked, looked at the animals, allowed the breakfast to settle, and then we went on the roller coasters. Uh, it wasn't long after we got onto the roller coasters that we realized that that was a massive mistake. Um, and uh, the, I, I think it was immediately, as we started going up there, I think I realized I had made a mistake. Um, and so we were, and I don't know which one it was, if it was the Araconda or the other one, but I, I felt disorientated, discombobulated, discomforted um, for the week afterwards. Like I just felt like I was, uh, even as I'm speaking to you now, I can start feeling myself going, woo, my stomach is starting to go like this. Um, I was surprised we made our way home. It was just so discomforting. And sometimes life can be like that, right? That um, we feel discomforted, disorientated, discombobulated. Go look that word up. It's such a wonderful word to come out of yourself, right? And um, we can feel so upside down sometimes in this roller coaster life. And so, pleased to say that I've never been on a roller coaster since 2012. Uh, again, I don't think I will go on one again. The second roller coaster is uh, 2009. Uh, we expecting Connor, um, and we go to the uh, gynecologist for a routine checkup about two, three weeks before the final day. So home is ready, emergency bag is packed. Mzama, you know that emergency bag, it's packed. I've got my route uh, from home to work. We're not going too far away from stuff. So it's the normal uh, test. We go, we do our checkup. After the checkup, um, the doctor says, Tamsin, like, everything okay? And she almost says, yes, everything's okay. She says, actually, when I got out of the car in the parking lot, like I felt a, a sharp pain. And actually, when we were sitting in the waiting room, like I felt a couple of interesting pains. And he was like, oh, okay, get back on the table. The whole thing's out again, scanning. She says, I think you should stay for the night. Go home, get the emergency bag. Things are in play. Um, so Tamsin has an emergency cesarean uh, the next day. Uh, we know the drill, so I'm there in the operating theater. So now we're excited, heart is pumping, the roller coasters, you know, going up. 
Um, so I know the drill. I'm looking at her saying, you're doing amazing. Things are going great. Things are not going great over there. They're cutting my wife. Have you ever seen, they like work on your wife. Like they, it's just <laughs> awful. So like, I'm like putting on a brave face. You're doing well. Uh, Connor comes out, people clapping hands, roller coasters going. They put Connor on her chest, you know, that first touch kangaroo, what, what, things are happening there. She's making connection with him. Everybody's tears. Like emotions are all over the place. You don't know if you're happy, you're sad. They take Connor away and they put him on the table over there. I look at Tamsin and then I look at Connor and they're busy working on Connor. They're busy resuscitating him and they're busy doing work over there. And now I realize that this roller coaster is now upside down. We are going places we hadn't been prepared for. And then you need to make a choice as a father, like your wife busy being sewed up, your son has now been taken away, and you have to follow, like the hospital protocols, you follow the baby, and so I say goodbye to Tamsin, we book Connor into the neonatal ICU, and this starts a three and a half week roller coaster ride of one step forward, one step back, and I think one of the toughest things for Tamsin during that time was that we weren't allowed to touch Connor for the first week and a half because of all the machinery that was on him, and so all to say that life can be like a roller coaster full of twists and turns, drops, that can leave us feeling a little bit disbobulated, disorientated, discomforted. Life can be hard. And so we don't want to make light of the sermon series that we're going into. And so in John 16, 33, Jesus is having dinner with his disciples, and over the meal, he starts telling them that tough times are approaching. He's letting them know that he's going to be separated. And this community that they have created is going to be disrupted. And so in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things that, that in me you may have peace. That in this world you will have tribulation. Uh, tribulation. Hey, is that right? Okay. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And so as Jesus is encouraging his disciples with hope and peace, I want you to know that today, wherever you find yourself, Jesus is saying those same words to you this morning. That in your roller coaster life, that might just be upside down right now, that he's offering you the same hope and peace, that he has overcome the world, and that he will offer you that peace. And so the sermon series, we want to provide you with a framework to understand suffering and understand our relationship to God during these tough times. I'm hoping that it will not become a raw, raw motivational talk where we just talk about some platitudes and then get you on your way. But we want you to take comfort and want to encourage you during these experiences. And so next week, Pastor Sai will be taking and framing what suffering is in this world. But today I want to talk about an endangered quality in this era of instant gratification. An endangered quality where we demand success overnight. You know, have you seen young people come into the workplace? They're there for three months. They're like, when am I the CEO of this place? Like, come on. I studied hard. I was six weeks in university. I should be the CEO of this place, right? And there's all this pressure on you to respond like immediately, right? So think about how people respond you to, you, you get an, a WhatsApp, like 10 minutes later, they're saying you blue tick me. When are you going to respond, right? And like this, this demanding thing that things need to happen so quickly. This is a rare um, quality when, when a generation ago, people did things over a lifetime, we're expecting them to do it in three months. 
in this generation or this time that we're living in when things get hard, when things get tough, when things don't go the way you expected them to go, we have this tendency to quit or to leave. And so you're at work and your dream job is not turning out to be your dream job. We go very quickly to writing that resignation letter because we think that they need us rather than we need them. When our education is not going the way we want, we drop classes, we change classes, we move direction really quickly. We're, we're in relationships. That relationship isn't what you dreamed it to be. You know, um, I, I'll never forget Tony Campolo talking about when, when he got married, his wife looked like this incredible, like it was just a heaven. And then, and then after the wedding, he woke up before her the one day and he looked at her and he was like, ooh! <laughs> like, that's not what he married, right? He said it's even worse if she wakes up before him with his tongue hanging out, bald head. Ah! Right? When those relationships don't look the way we dream them to look, we're very quick to walk out, to leave and quit those relationships. We come to church and the pastor doesn't greet me or look me in the eye like, I don't know if this church is for me. The pastor preaches something that touches you on your studio and you're like, ah. You know, there's a church that preaches things I like down the road. I might as well go and visit that church. We hit a pothole in this country. We're upset with what the government is doing in Cape Town. You know, maybe there's greener pastures in other places. But you know that they're not greener pastures there. They just look different. Their struggles are different. Our struggles are just a little more in your face, like you understand the struggles you're in. In other countries, you might not understand them. But we have a tendency to leave when things get tough, when they don't pan out as we do, even to, to the point where we give up on God because He hasn't delivered in the way that we think He should have. When our prayers haven't been answered, uh, we struggle. And so this endangered... Um, thing I'm talking about is endurance. This idea to endure the difficulties of life. This idea to bambalela, to hold on when things are tough, you hold on. And so today I want to unpack what is endurance? Why is endurance important? And how do we develop endurance? And so we're going to be reading from 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 and 11. Uh, please don't feel like you're passengers. You're going to read with me at a particular point. There are two words here that are catching me out, making me lose my concentration. So when I get to the church of Antioch, the city Antioch, the next, you see the next line, the next word there? You're going to read that with me, and the next word you're going to read with me, you're going to go with me. You're going to help me endure my difficulties. So let's read. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and he said, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch at? And? CM. With that persecution, I endured, and out of them the Lord delivered me. Yes, all who de desire to live godly in Christ, Jesus, will suffer persecution. Yo, one scripture with so many emotions is like a roller coaster, right? Like in one moment, God will help me, but yet if you believe in me, you're going to have persecution. Like, oh God, what on earth is happening? That's what I love about God's word. It's so complex. Um, and so beautiful all at the same time. So Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor in the early church. Uh, Timothy looks up to Paul in many ways. When I was doing research, I'm not sure if Paul is in prison 
or if he's under house arrest. So let's just say his movement is restricted at this point, right? Paul is in the midst of a roller coaster of a lifetime. He's not sure what's going to happen to him next. And so he's writing to Timothy to remind Timothy of the importance of, Timothy, when you saw me endure, I need you to endure as well, right? That even though opposition and persecution are coming my way, I need you to persevere. I need you to endure. So there's a dear friend of mine. His name is Greg Ricks. He's passed on. Um, and he shared the story that, one, he was adopted as a, as a young person, like as a baby. And in his adopted family, this family told him, Greg, education is really important. Education will open up the world to you. And so the family focused on education. And uh, so Greg was in grade seven. He's in the U.S., so he's a U.S.-based uh, human being, just in case you were wondering. I needed to put that context for the next piece of the story. Anyway, so he's, he's at in grade seven, and he's about to go to school, and the family said, you're not going to school today. You're going with us to the airport. One of our uncles is flying to the U.K. You need to come to the airport. So Greg is a bit confused, like, why do I need to go to the airport when the family and like are emphasizing that education is important? So while he's at the airport watching everybody leaving and saying goodbye and stuff, he says to one of his family members, like, why am I at the airport? Like, why did I have to come to the airport? Because I thought you said that education is important. And one of the family members turned to him and said, Greg, when you see it, you can be it. It was important for you to see one of our family members get in an airplane and fly to Europe because this is the first time it's happening in our family. When you see it, you will be it. And so Gregory stood there and he saw one of his uncles get on a plane and fly to Europe. He flew around the world. He began to see amazing things. So people do not do what they hear. People do what they see. You all know about this, right? You know when you were seven years old and there's an uncle standing there with a cigarette talking, you say, Ewen, if I ever catch you with one of these things, you remember that. I can see some of you are still traumatized by that example, right? And so he says, if I ever see you, right, then what happens? What he says has no meaning because where were you an hour later? You were there because we do what we see, we don't do what we hear. And so what Timothy, what Paul is saying to Timothy is reminding him of what he saw when Paul struggled. And he's saying to Timothy, I, but you have carefully followed. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you have seen firsthand how I've lived when persecution has come my way. When life got hard, you first saw me like this. You've seen it with your own eyes. So this is telling us that Paul did not only teach Timothy in an academic setting, he let Timothy catch what Paul had. Right? So of course, Timothy was close to Paul. He caught it. And we all know now by catching viruses, hey, that if you're close to somebody, you'll catch what they have. This is the best kind of Christianity, when you can catch what people have. right? And so in many ways, what I'm doing now is easy. I've got 25 minutes of a performance. I'll do my best. I mean, my nerves are a little high. I'm no, there's some of you writing notes saying you didn't say that correctly. We'll tell Pastor Sire, you know, we'll send Rex an email on Monday that this person said. Like, I know that's going to happen, right? But it's easy. What comes difficult is that after this, in the week when me and Rex have a disagreement, that's where it's a little more difficult. Or where I live 24-7 with this other human being, right? And it's tiring to perform in front of this human being all the time. 
that's when it becomes difficult, right? And so how we live our lives becomes really, really important. It's not what we say up here, but it's how we live out there that shows people how to persevere. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy, that you have caught my faith, my long-suffering, my love, right? And that's what we need to do. Um, so the question is, when you look around you, are there people that you want to catch stuff from? Or you're saying, I'd rather not catch that from that person. In fact, that person's so toxic, I'm going to sit on the other side of the aisle when they come into this space. Like, I'm going to avoid hanging out with them, right? I can see there's some space between some people. I don't want to catch what that person has, right? So that's the first question. When you look around you, can you see people that you want to catch stuff from? The more difficult question, do people want to catch stuff from you? Do you live a life that people say, oh, I want that. Oh, I want that from you. How do I come close to you and grab that from you? And that is far more difficult. So we have to ask ourselves those questions. But what was interesting is not only did Timothy catch it, he held on to what Paul gave him. He bambalelaed, he held on to that thing. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to bambalela, hold on to your faith. That when a thousand fall on your left and a thousand fall on your right, you will bambalela, right? When your faith is, when your finances are stressed and there's lots of things, you will bambalela that you serve Jehovah Jireh, right? When there are health issues and you're struggling through those health issues, you will bambalela, right? When you're in your relationships and they are strained, you will bambalela. You will hold on to those relationships. You will fight for those relationships. When life seems hard, you will bambalela. You will bambalela ujes. There's a song, Rex. If I was you, Rex, I would sing, but I'm not you, so I'm not going to sing that song, right? But this idea of bambalela, to bambalela, to hold on to Jesus. Hey, Rex, thanks. <laughs> I saw he's about to go, but you're coming to close the service, so we've got special things coming our way, right? This, this ability to bambalela is endurance. This ability to hold on, no matter what's happening, to hold on is endurance. So what is endurance? Well, let's start with what endurance is not. Endurance is not a motivational speech. Endurance is not about uh, showing your own strength and like, um, bearing through hard times. Uh, endurance is not like pulling yourself up with the bootstraps and getting going with life. It's not about personal resolve. It's not about short bursts of intense effort. It's not a physical activity. Endurance is not about being invincible. Endurance is not a solo effort where you just push through and, and get on it by yourself. And endurance is not about avoiding failure. Endurance can be messy at times. And it can be confusing at times. And it can be painful at times to endure. Because it's much easier to quit. There's a story about Julia Copen. I think her name is correct. Um, she's 17 years old. She's on a flight with her mother, flying over the jungle in, in South America somewhere. While they're flying over the jungle, the plane gets ripped apart. And Julia finds herself strapped to her chair, falling 10,000 feet to the ground. She survives. Everyone else on the plane dies. What a miracle, right? So she, she lands... A couple of scratches, I think a dislocated shoulder. And she 
in her book about how she survives this, her parents were zoologists. So she knew that if she got herself to a river and just followed the track of the river, she would eventually bump into a community. And she talks about how it took her a couple of weeks to eventually get to a community, or days to get to a community. And she talks about how difficult it was to swim, to climb over rocks. At one point, there were maggots in her, in her cuts, how she had to pull them out. That talks about the difficulty of endurance. It's not a glamorized thing that we're talking about. And so what is endurance? It says this, um, 2 Timothy 3, where we're reading from. So you have followed me, follow my doctrine. So what is doctrine? Doctrine is what Paul believed. And so Pete, and, and so Timothy's held on to what Paul has believed. And belief equals how you live your life. I'm sure we've all heard those words, right? Um, your thoughts, what's your thoughts they become? Your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, they become your destiny. It all starts with your doctrine, your thinking about who you are. So what enabled Paul to endure? What was his doctrine? What was his thinking? One was obedience to God. Paul is known for his obedience to God and his commitment to spreading the gospel of Jesus, no matter what the cost was. Paul's obedience was rooted in his faith in Jesus and desire to fill God's fulfillment in his life. So from the, 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 the Damascus conversion all the way into prison cells, Paul was committed to obedience to God. Think about it, the road to Damascus. He had to go to speak. He was blind. He had to go to people that he was about to persecute. He was obedient to God. In the prison cell, he was there for preaching the gospel. He continued to preach the gospel. He was obedient to his call. And so we are obedient despite our challenges, despite our sufferings, despite our challenges and our trials. We need to be obedient. We need to hear that that needs to become a part of our lives. And that means obeying God even when it sometimes doesn't make sense. It means obeying God even when it means you might need to forgive people you really, really don't want to forgive. Obeying God means that you might need to pray when you don't really feel like praying. It might mean giving when you don't really know now how you're going to give. But we need to obey God. It's the start of this endurance that we talk about. We see that Peter's personal relationship, not Peter, Paul's personal relationship with Christ is central to his ability to to endure difficulties. And so Paul uh, talks about his personal relationship as the central aspect of everything he does. Everything he did was about that, from the Damascus conversion all the way to the end of his life. Christ was the center. He talks about imitating Christ, and so imitate me as I imitate Christ, because Christ was the center of everything that he did. Is Christ the center of everything that you do? Can you say with boldness, imitate me as I, no, we'll say imitate parts of me, not all of me. Like don't see me when I'm with, because that's not like wholesome. And so can we do that? Is Christ the center of our relationship? Is Christ the center of your strength to help you endure? And so that satisfaction, that hope and strength comes from the confident knowledge that you are surrounded with Jesus, that he is your center. The third thing that we see is that Paul's hope and confidence in this idea that God will see his word through. What God said he would do, he would do it. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe God's word in your life as a confidence, as a hope that you can hold on? Even though the world is upside down, things are not going well, you can stand confidently on God's word? Paul did. He said, I know all things work together for those who, who love God, who are called according to his purposes. Paul trusted God that he would work all things. He trusted God because of his work. And so our hope and confidence, where is it? And even when things are difficult, yeah, we know that we're going to a different place where there won't be that many difficulties, that our hope and confidence is beyond this world. And so I know this without a shadow of a doubt, that in this church, we do not know a God that doesn't answer his promises. In this church, we do not know an unfaithful God. We serve a faithful God. And we are confident in that faithfulness. Where is your hope and confidence? It has to be in Jesus. It has to be tied to that obedience. It has to be tied into what God is doing for us. So that's what obedience, uh, uh, endurance is. So what is the importance of endurance? And so for this, I'm going to need some uh, volunteers, and, and they don't know I'm going to call them up. And I was, so I'm going to go with a couple that is going to help me just in terms of Nzamo, Navilia, Klokwan, please, don't you mind joining me uh, up here. Um, so you don't mind coming stand up here, either one of you on this side. So we're going to put to rest who's the strongest sex uh, today. For a long time, we say, no, this man, that, so this is, the, we're going to put an end to that. And we can see the height differentiator, yeah. And so me and Rex and Sai are taking bets as to who's going to win, right? And so how you know there's a winner is the person that crushes the can the smallest is the winner, right? Um, and I know before Zama's time, you know, before he became a Christian, he wasn't a Christian all the time, right? There was a time that Mzama would hang out in a tavern and he would be able to take this and crush it on his head. Mzama, I'm not asking you to do that today, right? So just using your hands, I want you to crush this can. The winner is the strongest sex between the two of you. So on your marks, only using your hands, crush this can. Come on, come on. Come on, Mzama. Come on, put some power there. Ladies and gentlemen, our winner! Woo <laughs> Thank you very much. You can take a seat. I really appreciate that. It's clear, us men are the weaker sex. No doubt about it. No more arguments. No need to go to any theological. We've seen it demonstrated up front here. Thank you for being such a great sport. I know you've done this. You've seen this activity before, but you actually haven't done it before. So well done. And did you see him, Zamul, put in real, like, he tried. Um, I worry about doing this activity in church because, you know, maybe one day somebody's overcome with the spirit and then they can just crush it with one hand like that. Then that would be problematic. So I was, I did say to Tamsin, oh, I'm not sure if I should do it. You know, I've done it at correctional services and like one of those big oaks could not crush it. But why is endurance important? Because if we don't endure, our lives will end up like this. But when we endure... Even a strong guy like Mzamo cannot crush you. You will not be crushed. We'll come back to this a little bit later. Amen. There we go. Somebody's with us this morning. So when we read Paul's life, we might think that somebody that has the right doctrine, somebody that has the right manner of life, that has faith, long-suffering, that has love, shouldn't be persecuted, shouldn't have a tough time, 
This person should be living their best life. They're following all the rules of life, isn't it? And we as pastors, we lead you astray when we say, live like this and you'll be victorious. Amen. And people say, yeah. But that's not the case if we look at Paul's life. So Paul's got all this going for him, yet he, we see in Antioch, uh, let me read uh, Iconium and Leostristra, put it out there, yeah, here we go, right? Um, we see that Paul in Antioch was kicked out of the city for preaching the gospel. In Iconium, he was um, stoned to almost being executed. And Leostra, he was left for dead. If we le- read in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two to 27, he was whipped, um, how many times? Five times. He was beaten with a rod three times. He was stoned and left for dead once. Three times he was shipwrecked. Once he was imprisoned many times. And right now, as he's writing this to Timothy, his life is in peril from Jews and Gentiles. So this is like a little bit perplexing that you live this kind of life, but yet you have struggles. That's why endurance is important. No matter where you find yourself, difficulties are going to come your way, and you need endurance to get through that, right? And so why is endurance important? Because it's essential for Christ living, for the way we live our lives. In Daniel 7, 20, uh, 25, in the King James Version, it says that the, the Antichrist is yet to wear the saints down on the most high. So the Satan is, is wearing you down. Sometimes the biggest attacks are not the ones we look out for. It's the small, continuous ones that just keep on giving, keep on giving, keep on going. Wears you down. I don't know if any of you are familiar with medieval warfare. You know those battling rams? You have a fortified city, and they take a battling ram and bang the gates bang the gates, bang the gates. They would wear down the defenses, the gates would break. That's how Satan attacks us. He's a battling ram, hitting you, hitting you, hitting you, wearing you down. And that's why endurance is important, right? It's not a very fancy weapon. It's not immediate, but it works. And so in our faith in God, there's a battling ram, It's coming against you every day, questioning your faith in God, Um, uh, uh, criticism and ridicule about how you live your life as a Christian. I know for myself as a Christian, when people know that I'm a Christian and they know that I'm a pastor, they say, oh, so you're one of those pastors with doom, grass, petrol, like is that the kind of stuff you do in your space? And it's a battling ram against my faith. It's ridiculing the things that I believe in. As people in, in God, um, this disrespectful, disrespectful behavior towards us as Christians. I think last night, Dorian was talking about the Freedom of Speech Act that's coming out that will be really dangerous for us as Christians to express our faith in society. And so we watch when we say and how we say as Christians because there's this continuous attack on, us, on our faith. And in South Africa, not so much, but there's acts of violence towards Christians around the world. And so there's this continuous attack. There's this continuous battling ram against you around your finances. And so as you're sitting here, you're not sitting in peace. You're sitting here saying, Lord, how am I going to pay the bills at the end of the month? And so I can't really sit here because that battling ram is niggling at you. And so you get at the end of the month, you get through, you've just paid, you know, you're skin past by the, yo, I paid all those bills. And the moment you've paid all those bills, the next voice comes to you and says, now that you've paid the bills, how are you going to survive when you retire? Oh, then you start thinking about that. 
And then you build your faith up and you've got over that. And then the voice will say, ah, what about the broken car you need to fix? And those unexpected expenses that start coming their ways. And so our faith is tested with this battling ram of finances. Just continuously, continuously. There's health issues. I know of people in our community that are suffering for years with health issues. Both physical and emotional and psychological and it's like a battling ram that just takes them on and never releases. And you're feeling worn down. Relationship problems. It's another place where Satan just likes to bang, bang, bang. Whether it's our, our friends, family, work partners, it's relentless as we begin to see that. And then Pastor Sai preached such a message last week around this life-work balance. I don't know how many of you switched your phone off. I didn't. But we need to understand that this life-work balance and this continuous desire to be on all the time is Satan wearing you down, the battling ram coming against you. And so it is continuous, and that's why we need endurance. We also need endurance because this endurance, this suffering, is helping us part of our Christian development and growth. It is there for us. And so in James 1, 2, and 4, it says, Consider it pure joys, brothers and sisters, whether you face trials of many kinds, because you know your testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish the work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in anything. Right? And so what does this endurance help us with? Well, it helps us to grow in our faith. It helps us to grow in our maturity. We begin to build up faith when we go through these difficulties. It provides us as a witness. right? So when we go through these difficulties and your, your, the finances are not working out, but yet you praise the Lord, you become a witness. right? When you start hearing people saying, you know, Cape Town's not looking too bad compared to Joburg. You know? They're opening up new things. The waterfront is doubling in size, those kind of things. And things are happening there. Development is happening there. And you say, no, I'm going to stay in Joburg. It becomes a witness to people saying, why are you staying here? Like, what is it about Joburg? Well, it's not about Joburg. It's about me. It's about who lives in me that helps me stay strong in these places, right? You become a witness. So when your marriage is going through difficulties, you don't go and say, I'm giving up on this. You say, I'm going to fight for it. And people say, why? You say, because I made a promise to this person. My word is my command. And, and so I become a witness. And so this endurance helps us become a witness in an ever-darkening world. It helps us overcome sin. And so when we endure, we overcome the sin in our lives. And so endurance is a key part of that development. It prepares us for future challenges, right? We go through endurance. We go through this challenge. We can say, I did this. I can go through it. So I'm going to give away my age when I talk about my schooling, right? So when I was in standard six, and I, I what's a grade eight, no? Okay. So grade six, standard six. I didn't know if I was going to pass. I didn't know if I was going to pass. And the teacher said, did you pass grade standard five? I said, yes. She said, you can pass grade seven, standard seven. And, and I said, and she said, if you can pass standard seven, you can pass standard eight, you can pass standard and you can get your matric. If you did it, you can do it, right? And so this idea of going through these difficulties tells you, you have inside of you the ability to take on the next challenge. You do not give up because you go through these challenges, Right? And so the question is, how do we develop endurance? So we know what endurance is. We know why it's important. But how do we develop this? 
the bad news is you don't go to bed tonight saying, Lord, give me endurance, and you wake up tomorrow morning and you're like empowered with endurance. The bad news is there's no wellness clinic, Jane. I'm sorry, like there's no, there's no like injection. You know, when we went for the COVID, you get injected, the next day you're immune. There's no such thing with endurance, right? And so endurance is a lifetime learning of things. And the longer you push against it, the longer it takes to learn those things, right? And so it's, it's about this. Uh, what I love about God's Word, we've only unpacked three words in that whole scripture. It's amazing, right? So, um, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life. And so we're going to talk about Paul's manner of life. We're going to talk about what's inside the can that helps it withstand the pressures of life. So what are the things you need to put inside your life? The first thing we see that Paul puts in his life is God's Word. God's Word needs to be inside of you. When we squeeze you, what comes out? I hope it's not profanities. When we squeeze you, is it the word of God that comes out of your mouth? Because Paul is known for his emphasis on God's word throughout his life. He preached the gospel. He wrote the gospel. He believed in the scriptures. Do you believe in those scriptures? Are they rooted inside of you? Are they part of your ministry? Are they part of your work? Are they part of who you are? Scriptures become fundamental. Putting you in the can. Put the scripture inside you. So when the life comes, you can withstand whatever comes from it, right? And so scriptures are really important. So let's get practical. Find a reading plan. Have a process to say, I'm going to read this every day. Have a reading plan. There's lots of things online that can help you with your reading plan. Create spaces, sacred spaces and times in your schedule to say, I'm going to read God's word at this time. I'm going to pray at this time. When my children know I'm at that part of the garden, I'm doing my business. I've got two parts of the garden. They just need to know which... But anyway, so there's a fire pit and there's another part of the garden. When I'm there, they know that I'm, it's my sacred place. It's my time. I'm with Jesus. It's um, having memory verses. Um, back when I was a teenager, life was tough. In my wallet, I wrote down 10 scriptures that were important for me. Put them in my wallet. And when the attack came from the evil one, whipped out the wallet. I wasn't pulling out money. I was pulling out God's word. I was reading that. I was edifying myself, right? You have the word of the, you have, like I had 10 memory verses. You have the whole Bible in your pocket now, right? And rely on it. It is such a powerful thing. Memorize scripture. It becomes so helpful. So Paul had that in mind. What we see, what was inside of Paul was prayer. He prayed all the time. He emphasized on prayer. Throughout his ministry, you would see Paul praying. In many ways, he said, I pray more than you do. I'm the most praying person around. Do you have the confidence to say that? Yeah, walk past Pastor say, Pastor say, I pray more than you. There's a bit of a high bar to go. Like, I wouldn't want to say that because maybe I don't pray as much as I should, right? And so Paul prayed with frequency. He prayed with intensity and he prayed with specificity. He prayed for specific things. Like, do you do that? And when he prayed for, he prayed for wisdom, he prayed for strength, and he prayed for understanding. So when the difficulties come, you're not asking God to remove you from the difficulty. You're saying, Lord, give me wisdom in this difficulty. Give me understanding in this difficulty. And Paul also recognized it wasn't only about praying for others, but asking people to pray for him. You would see him throughout the scripture saying, pray for me as I do this. Do this for me as I do that. And so when we pray, again, have specific times and places that you pray. Have specific places and times where you pray. I want to go back to the word. My, my Bible school lecturer, 
his wife wasn't a Christian yet, and so she wouldn't let him read God's word at home. So he would go to work early and sit in the toilet and read God's word for hours in the toilet. I don't know what people thought he was doing there for hours, but he was, he, that was his sacred place. That's where he could read God's word, right? And so with prayer, have specific times when you're praying. We see it throughout Bible, the Bible where God's people prayed at specific times. Have different methodologies of praying. Sometimes you pray loud. Sometimes you pray quietly. Sometimes you pray in big groups. Sometimes you write your prayers down. I, uh, Tamsin must have thought I was crazy. I, I whipped out all my journals from the last couple of years, and I found a piece of paper that I wrote a prayer down in 1991. Yeah, I'm old, hey? <laughs> the paper's gone orange already. And I looked at that, and I saw the incredible things that God has done. Sad to say, uh, the stuff I still need to do, which is a little bit embarrassing to say, after all these years, Lord, I'm still struggling in this area. But it's a constant reminder. So pray in different ways. Keep a prayer journal to see God's faithfulness. We see that Paul was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. He prayed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptized him. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives, actually longs to live inside of you. So my... um, uh, my mom and my stepdad used to like partying a lot on weekends. Uh, my stepdad particularly uh, would come home like 3 o'clock in the morning, and my mother would say to him, where have you been? And he'd say, I've been around. <laughs> um, I'm going to try that one day with Tamsin to see whether, uh, she asked, where have you been? I've been around. Uh, if I come knocking on your door that night, Rex, know that I uh, need a new place to uh, to a boat for a little while. My, my perseverance is not in a good space that day. But um, one of these days that my stepfather had been around, he would sometimes bring people with him on his journey. Uh, and so there was this guy, he was very lubricated. And uh, I think I was about 14, between 14 and 16. And I was in my, my, my parents' walk-in closet. So there was nothing behind me, just cupboards. And this man stood over me like this, and he had, like, I don't know what he was going to do. Like, I just felt fear come upon me. Like, I could see hatred in this man's eyes. It was just evil. And as a six, I looked at this man, and all I started to do was pray in tongues. I started praying in tongues. And as I started praying in tongues, I saw something come onto this man that I'd never seen come on another man again. He became instantaneously sober. And I could see, like, I could physically see something change in him. And he just did this, and he let me walk past. And that day, I knew the living God lives inside of me, right? And I can't encourage you enough to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, come up today and get the Holy Spirit living in you. Because when I walk into those CEO's offices that I wore, I'm shaking in my boots, right? I am intimidated, but I pray in the Spirit and God builds me up and I know that the maker of the universe is sitting inside of me. And He is with me in those moments. And so if we are going to endure, we need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is with us. We obey Him when He says we need to do things. Um, I'm coming to an end. The next thing is praise and worship. Paul had worship in his heart, in his mind. This was a lifestyle for him. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. He didn't come here and just worship here, get filled up and go and do anything else. He said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. To despite where you find yourself, be in worship. Worship God despite our circumstances. But it's not just about singing. It's about acts of service. 
We serve one another, we worship in the King. When you're an usher in this house, you serve us, you're worshiping. When you're up in kids' church, you are, you are worshiping. When you're serving one another in, 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 in interesting ways, you are worshiping. In your giving, you are worshiping. In your creative expression, you are worshiping. Finally, Paul surrounded himself with a community of believers. He never endured on his own. He always had people calling on people, rising people up. And so for that, I need a volunteer. Uh, is there a volunteer that is willing to come up with me and finish off the sermon, please? And if you don't volunteer, we'll volunteer you. Um, where, where, where? Uh, so come up. Um, you are? Tommy, Tommy, stay down here. Tommy, Tommy, stay down here. We, we're going to go off the stage because we said things off stage are better than on stage. Tommy, take this and put it as high as you can on the wall, if you don't mind. Just put it on the wall as high as you can. All right, great. Do you believe Tommy can do more than that? Tommy, I believe you can do more. Can you believe you can do more than that? Do you believe it? So show us. Tommy, can you do more than that? Come on, help him do more than that. There we go. Now, folks, I believe that there's more in Tommy than that even. Do you believe that there's more in him than that? I want us to stir him up to say, we believe you can go higher. Can you go higher? Right, come on. Let's go, Tommy. I've stood next to Tommy. I don't know if he can do one more. <laughs> but you can do one more. You can do more. You can do more. I can do more. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be those people who can do more. That you're calling us to persevere longer, to praise you more fervently to pray more intensely, to preach more boldly, to go further and to stay longer than what we thought was possible. Thank you, Father, that you're building an endurance in us that glorifies you, that sets us apart from those who are not of you but that we can be those people who are bold and who are courageous because you have built an endurance in us that will not bow down to the lies of the enemy that will not be influenced by the lies that we hear on a daily basis but that you have deposited in us a truth that comes only from your throne room that allows us to know that despite what situation we find ourselves in we can stand and stand secure and having done all to stand that we can stand some more thank you Father as a bold action of faith and a declaration a commitment to
to standing in your faith, can I ask you to stand to your feet? And when you do so, you are making that declaration. It is not a passive standing. Tell yourself as you stand that I'm making a commitment to stand on the Word of God. I'm making a commitment to stand in times of temptation. I'm making a commitment to stand when it would be easier to fall. I'm making a commitment to stand when it would be easier to run. I'm making a commitment to stay when it would be easier to find greener pastures. I'm making a commitment to endure. And so Lord Jesus, you see your children who are today making a commitment before you. But our commitment is is strengthened by your presence. And so we pray, blow your breath of life over the commitment that we are making today. Blow your breath of life because there, there are marriages that are represented in this room, Lord, that are teetering on the edge. And and, and yet there's somebody who's standing now who's saying, I wasn't sure, but now I'm making a commitment to stand and to stay. Father, I pray that you will see that person who, who was thinking about, do I need to leave this organization because things are not going my way? I pray that you would empower them with boldness to stay when it would be easier to go. Father, there is somebody in this room who has been trusting you for boldness to preach the gospel. Father, I pray that you would empower them with a boldness to preach when it is not popular to do so. Lord, you see that person in this room who is hanging onto their faith by a thread, losing hope, not knowing whether you still hear from them. And I pray that you would empower them also as they stand making that declaration that today I choose to stand. I choose to stand. I choose not to be hopeless. I choose to be filled with hope. I choose not to be weak. I choose to endure. Father, that person who has gone through so much hardship and pain in this room, that person watching online, you see them. And I pray, Father, that as they stand, that in them would be created a a faith to stand despite the challenges, despite the pain, despite the hardship. I speak over you a grace to stand and having done all that you can do to stand, to stand some more. Thank you, Lord. That you endured above all else. And you endured the suffering and the limitations of this earth. And you endured the, the persecutions. You endured torture. And you endured a humiliating and excruciatingly painful death. You endured it for the hope that was set before you. And now we have a hope. We have a hope. Your glorious return. That you will return and we live our lives, we choose to live our lives knowing that you will return. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We pray we receive these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.